0: Today's scripture comes from the book of Mark, chapters 8, 34 through 9, 1. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it is come with power.
1: May be seated. Well, good morning, church. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And uh, we are starting to bring some of our Bibles. We have Bibles out in the lobby, but we also will have Bibles here on the communion tables that you can feel free to grab uh, even now uh, and in future weeks on your way in. If you don't have one here with you uh, or use a device, something like that, to get the the Word in front of you. And if you ever bring someone who doesn't have a Bible, feel free to give them one of those. That is our gift uh, to them. If you don't have a Bible, Bible, please take one of those uh, home with you today. Uh, but turn it to Mark chapter 8. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page 936. Uh, of course, if you're not using one of the church Bibles, I do not know what page number you will find it on. Uh, but Mark chapter 8, we are continuing our series, preaching through the gospel according to Mark. And this morning, we come to a text of scripture that is, that is fairly well known and yet not often embraced or understood by many Christians and it's a passage that is really going to be a good passage for us to really slow down and take our time going through it and so this is a passage of scripture that's going to at least take 2 or 3 weeks of us preaching through this same passage in order to really cover all that we need to cover so get get familiar with this text over the next uh, couple of weeks we're going to be in this uh, again next week and maybe even the week after that Now, if you haven't been with us, this is a passage that is immediately following uh, Jesus, uh, explaining to us and his disciples that, yes, he is the Christ, right? Their eyes have been opened that he is the Christ, the Messiah, or, or the king that is to come that is to make all things right. But his kingdom, he's trying to explain to them that his kingdom is not going to come with military force. It's not going to come with political power. But instead, he's going to be a suffering king. A suffering king. And last week we looked at how Peter and the disciples, they're not really getting this. They're not getting their minds around this because they really wanted Jesus to have the crown without first having to go to the cross. And Jesus said, no, in order for me to defeat humanity's ultimate enemy and to rescue a people from the penalty of sin and to rescue a people from the power of sin, Jesus said he must suffer. He must be rejected. And he must be killed. But he also then gives us hope in that passage from last week because he promised us that in three days then he would rise from the dead. And it is through his suffering, it is through his rejection, and it is through his execution that we have now come to know true forgiveness, true love, and true life. That's what we talked about last week. And now we arrive at verse 34 as ones who have experienced true forgiveness, as ones who have experienced true love, and as ones who have experienced true life, we now look at what true discipleship really looks like. What true discipleship really looks like. Now, discipleship is kind of one of those churchy words that we don't really use much outside of the church. And so we often need to explain what we mean by it or else we will forget what we are meaning when we say discipleship. It's important for us to understand this word because it was, it, this idea of discipleship is a part of the Great Commission. So Jesus, after his resurrection, just prior to his ascension up into heaven, he commanded his disciples and he commands us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And whether you realize it or not, it's pretty cool to think about this, that that is what we are doing. With a grace-driven effort, we are striving to make disciples here in Franklin, Indiana. Isn't that cool to think that this is a part of what Jesus was talking about 2,000 years ago in Galilee when he said, Go to the nations and make disciples? He had Franklin, Indiana, as a part of that in his mind, and that is what we are seeing carrying out today. We are desiring to be disciples who make disciples. We are part of the disciples going to the nations. And yes, we must not neglect international missions. We must not neglect sending people to the, 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 uh, to the nations, excuse me. But we must not also romanticize international missions and forget that that is what we are to do here and now in Franklin, in Johnson County. We are to be missionaries on mission to make disciples. But that phrase discipleship, to go and make disciples, it can be an intimidating phrase, right? Because it's not a phrase we use in other aspects of our life, it can be an intimidating phrase. And so instead, most Christians just say, well, I'm not going to do anything about that. I'll leave that up to the professional Christians. I'll leave that up to the pastors or the missionaries. That's not my job. That's the job of someone who's, who's professional at it or gets paid to do it. And so what we've said here is a rephrasing of that command to to go and make disciples. We've rephrased it using language that we use in everyday language, and really it's a command to go and help others follow Jesus. Go and help others follow Jesus. And when you take that big, scary disciple word out of the equation, you start to see even small, simple ways that you can go and you can help others follow Jesus. You also then start to even see the ways that you are already doing this as well, either with your kids or with your family or your friends. You're seeing the small, simple ways that you are helping others follow Jesus. But the question is, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because Jesus did not ask us to go get converts. He did not ask us to go get a crowd. He did not ask us to go and get quick decisions or to go pray a prayer. He told us to go and help others follow Jesus. But what does that look like to follow Jesus? And this text that we are going to look at the next couple of weeks is one of the most important texts that really gets to the heart of the issue of what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does true discipleship really look like? And so before we jump into the text, let me pray and let me ask the Lord that he would do a a great work, give us eyes to see what true discipleship really looks like. So pray, pray with me. Father God, we do thank you that you suffered, you willingly suffered, you willingly were rejected, and you willingly gave your your life up for us, that we might be forgiven of our sin, that we might be freed from our sin, that we might know and experience your love, that we, we might know and experience life with you. And so God, as we now approach your word, I ask that you would, Lord, give us eyes to see it, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts that would respond to it, and that we would truly see what it looks like to be a follower of you. Lord, help us in these next couple of weeks. Help us be convicted in ways that we have not been following you. Help us be encouraged in the ways that we have been. And Lord, help us get a glimpse of what true discipleship really looks like. Change our hearts, God. Stir up our affections. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look with me at Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. His disciples are with him, and he calls the crowd to him as well. He says that if anyone would come after me, if anyone would be my disciple, this is what true discipleship is going to look like, okay? Number one, he says, let him deny himself. Number two, he says, take up his cross. And number three, he says, follow me. This is what true discipleship looks like. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. And then in the following verses, Jesus gives us the reasons why we should do these things. So look back at Mark 8, okay? Verse 34 is the command, and the next four verses give the reasoning why. And they all start with the word for. We got four fours coming up explaining this command in verse 34. So look at verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Verse 37, for what can a man give in return for his soul? And verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then chapter 9, verse 1, we're going to save for the next few weeks. But Jesus says, if anyone would be my true disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That is what true discipleship looks like. Now, a false discipleship or a fake discipleship would do the opposite of these things, okay? A fake disciple of Jesus does not deny themselves. They indulge themselves. They care only for themselves. They look to advance themselves. They ultimately want to glorify themselves. And they see Jesus as a means to their own end. A fake or a false disciple does not take up their cross. But instead, they seek to avoid any opposition from the world. They seek to avoid shame or suffering. And they seek at all costs to avoid death. And a fake disciple does not follow Jesus, but instead wants to lead and ask Jesus to follow behind them and clean up their mess. Or they ask Jesus to be their co-pilot, but never letting him take the wheel. But a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus, denies themselves, takes up their cross, and follows after him. And oh, church, it's going to be a good next few weeks for us in this text, but it is going to be a hard few weeks for us as well. It's going to be a convicting few weeks for us, but it will also be a few weeks that are smothered with God's grace, and we're going to find in our weakness, we're going to find his strength. And so I'm excited for it. But this morning, this morning, we are just going to look at the phrase, let him deny himself. Okay? The take up your cross part, the follow after me, those times are coming. But just this morning, we're looking at what does it mean to deny ourselves? What does it mean to deny ourselves? If anyone would be a true disciple of Jesus, let them deny themselves. I mean, just think, what a countercultural thing to say. It's almost even offensive amongst Christians to say that because so much of the talk that we hear around us is the opposite. It's, it's indulge yourself, care for yourself, treat yourself, right? Invest in yourself, be your best self, look out for yourself. This is, this is what we're hearing from all around us. This is what being, is being written. This is the content that is being put out for us to devour It's the opposite of deny yourself. And Jesus says, no, if you're going to follow after me, you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself. That word deny, it's the same word that we see used in Mark 14 when Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter, three times, with increasing intensity, he denies and disassociates that he knows Jesus. He, 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 he removes any connection from Jesus. He, he denies that he was with them. He denies that he knows him. He denies that he was a follower of Jesus. And Peter denies Jesus three times. It's the same word that Jesus is telling us to deny ourselves. Deny ourselves. Look back at verse 34, though. Look how he phrases it. We're going to get a little technical just for a second, so stick with me, okay? Verse 34. Let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. Him deny himself. It's almost as if he's saying, let person A deny person B. Let A deny B. The the phrasing is assuming that a true disciple will have a self that is supposed to deny another self. Okay, are you guys sticking with me on that? I know that's a little technical nuance, but it's important, okay? Because while that seems maybe a little confusing in this text, the rest of Scripture helps clarify it to us a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. You'll turn to the right in your Bible. Uh, in our church Bibles, it's page 1088. Colossians chapter 3 because we need to get our minds around what this means to have a self that is denying ourself. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 is going to help us clarify how we are to put off our old self, how we are to deny ourself, and we are to put on our new self. So look at Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10. I'll read it here for you. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, After the image of its creator. Okay, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you have been raised with Christ, it says, therefore, set your mind on the things above. Deny your old self. Deny the sinful flesh in you that desires what what the text is saying here, sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and covetousness and idolatry. Like, deny the old self that desires anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. It says don't lie. Put off the old self. Repent of the old self. Die to the old self daily. Daily and be renewed by setting your mind on the things above. So turn, turn back now to, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. It says, If anyone would be a true disciple of Jesus, let them deny themselves. Now, not only does deny ourself mean to deny our old self and our sinful desires, but it also means to surrender control of our lives to Christ. It's the posture of surrender when you deny yourself. You see, fake disciples and fake and false discipleship, which, by the way, we can all be prone to. So when I talk about those things, if your first thought is to think about another church or another Christian, it shouldn't be, okay? This is a word that God has for this church and for us as a people. And so we can all be, be prone to kind of this false discipleship. So don't let your mind think about others first before you examine your own heart, okay? But listen, fake disciples do not want to surrender control of their life to Christ, They want to let him into some rooms of their house, but they don't actually surrender control of their whole house to God. Fake disciples want Jesus to be a supplement to their life. They don't want to surrender complete control to Jesus, right? They just want to diffuse some essential oil Jesus in their life to make things smell and feel a little better. They just want Jesus to coddle their heart, They don't actually want the heart transplant that they actually need. They just want him to supplement their life. But a true disciple and true discipleship does not view Jesus as a supplement, but instead like life-saving chemotherapy who's going to come in and kill off the old self so that we might find our true self, which is Christ in us and us in Christ. A true disciple will be able to read Galatians 2.20, which we'll have up on the screen. A true disciple can read this without any hesitation. They can read, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live. I've surrendered to Christ. Because Jesus suffered, rejected, was killed, and rose from the dead, we have now experienced true forgiveness. We've now experienced true love. We've now experienced true life. He has poured himself out for us. Who are we not to now respond and surrender all to him? To hand over ultimate control of our life to Christ. Our desires, our thoughts, our actions should not ultimately be determined by us, but by Christ in us. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, will have the quote up on the screen. You can follow along. I love this quote from, from the book. He writes, Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. I love this. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself And you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. If anyone would be a true disciple of Jesus, let them deny themselves. Now, not only does this mean to deny our old self, Not only does it mean to deny our ultimate control of our lives, but also to deny ourselves is to consider the needs of others greater than ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. True disciples of Jesus do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Which, which humble people, it's been said, they don't necessarily think less of themselves, they just think about themselves less. Okay? True disciples deny themselves, and they don't just look at their own interest, but also to the interest of others. To deny ourselves means to deny our old self, the flesh. It means to deny ultimate control of our life and surrender to Christ. And it means to deny putting our interest over the interest of others. But now let's talk about what denying yourself does not mean, okay? I think in order to really understand what it means, we have to talk about what it means, but then we have to talk about what it doesn't mean, okay? Because first, this does not mean that you are to deny your personality. You are not to deny your personality. Jesus is not saying that you have to deny the uniqueness of how he has created you in order to become some robotic carbon copy version of what a true disciple looks like. No, not, not at all. Like That's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ. That's the beautiful thing about humanity is that, that while we have some similarities and we have some underlying commonalities, that, that we've all, we all have different personalities. We all have different gifts. We all have different talents and desires and unique interests. And we can find unity in the midst of that diversity. And so he's not saying to deny your personality. He's also not saying that we are to deny our value, okay? This isn't like we just go, whoa, like, oh man, I'm just my, I, I'm, I'm worth nothing, like, like I'm nothing, I'm dirt. You know, we, we are not to deny our value. Because look, later in Mark 8, in verse 36, he says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In that verse, Jesus is highlighting the value of a human soul. The soul of a human created in the image of God has significant worth and value. Jesus says that the soul is so valuable that even if you gained the whole world and all the riches and the power and everything you can gain in the world, even if you gained all of it, it would not be worth it if you lost your soul. And your soul is of so much value and worth that Jesus willingly suffered and willingly was rejected and willingly gave up his life in order that your soul might be rescued from the penalty and the power of sin. And so Jesus is not saying to deny your value. You have significant worth and value as being an image bearer of God. But also our value is so often in our culture determined by how we perform or what we achieve. That's how we feel valuable. That's how we feel worthy, right? A lot of times we falsely believe it's, it's based upon our performance. It's based upon what we achieve. So in our culture, it's all about how much money you can make. It's about how many possessions you can collect. It's about how much power or control or status that you can acquire. And that's what determines your value. And we even let this performance-based system kind of creep into the church and amongst Christians, right? Like if we, if we do this, this, and this, then we feel like we are a good Christian. If we, if we prayed this and read this and went to this small group and went to this church, then we feel like we have value as a Christian, But when Jesus says deny yourself, he's saying deny that performance-based value system. Deny what you have looked to to give you value and to give you your identity. And listen, the beautiful, the freeing thing in that is by denying that, By denying finding our value and identity in how we perform or what we achieve, it frees us to follow after him as a true disciple and find our identity, our value, and our worth in Christ alone. And so Jesus is, he's not telling us to deny our personality. He's not telling us to deny our value, but he's saying, hey, deny that performance-based value system you've been working with. But he's also not saying this. He's also not saying to deny all of our ambitions. Following after Jesus and surrendering control to him. This does not mean that you become some complacent person who has no goals, desires, or ambitions in life. Many of you have ambitions and goals and things that you would like to do and see accomplished in your lifetime, and praise God for those things, okay? So listen, ambition is not the problem. Ambition is not the problem. We need more Christ followers who are ambitious for the glory of God. But you see, what happens is because of our sin— Because of our sin, our ambition has caused us to turn in on ourselves. Which that's the natural thing that sin does. In any area of your life, what sin is going to do, it's going to cause you to turn in on yourself. Now the gospel frees you to turn outward, but sin will always cause you to turn inward. And when sin distorts ambition, it's what the Bible calls selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Ambition. James chapter 3, verse 13, speaks of this. He writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. We should probably all be praying right now, Lord, may there never be selfish ambition amongst this people or amongst its leaders. May the Lord guard us against that. But listen, what we desperately need are Christians who deny themselves, who deny selfish ambition, and are freed to have a God-given ambition. To have an ambition that God places on their heart to see the glory of the Lord proclaimed and to go forth into the world. Okay, so listen, ambitious Christian. If you are one of these people who have goals and you're driven and you're ambitious, it's okay. Don't let your sin, though, turn you on, uh, inward on yourself, okay? It's okay to have goals. But have your goals caused you to turn inward or outward? To diagnose if your ambition is sick with sin, I would ask, has it caused you to turn inward or outward? Is it leading you to self-glory or to God's glory? You see, it's okay to have goals. I have goals. Uh, Recently, I've been better at like writing out yearly goals, and then I break those down into quarterly goals. And then that's what helps me determine what my goals for the week are and what my goals for the day are. And so I've been trying to get into that practice. It's helped me not get so caught up and tangled with what has to be done today that I lose sight of the big picture of things that I want to see done in the next year or so. Nothing's wrong with that. Nothing's wrong with having goals and ambitions, but true disciples of Jesus hold those goals and ambitions with open hands. We hold them with open hands. It's a posture, again, of surrender. Proverbs 16, verse 9. Which every time I read one of the Proverbs, I always think, why am I not reading Proverbs more often? So I'll ask you the same question. Like, why aren't you reading Proverbs, right? Why are you listening to me instead of reading Proverbs? Okay, Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And this is is what I often find. Like when God places a God-given ambition or call on my heart, I pray about it and I start pursuing it. Then what usually happens is he makes me wait longer than I think I should have to wait about it. And in that process, there's something really sanctifying and healthy for my own soul. But then things start happening. And as I continue to wait, he usually sends brothers and sisters around me to speak truth into my life and to speak truth into that call to kind of refine it and shape it. And then God usually ends up working it out differently than I had imagined it. And he establishes it in a way that I in no way can take credit or take glory for it. And praise God that he does it that way. Because if he didn't do it that way, and if it happened the way I had always dreamed and envisioned and on the timeline that I wanted, I'm telling you, I would turn into a prideful monster, and so would you. So follower of Jesus, have ambition, have goals, but hold them with open hands. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so listen, Jesus, by telling us to deny ourselves, he's not telling us to deny our personality. He's not telling us to deny our value. He's not telling us to deny all ambition. And he's also not telling us this. He's not telling us to deny our humanity. To deny ourselves is not a call from Jesus to pursue physical, mental, or emotional suffering just for the sake of suffering. Now, certainly, following Jesus at times will lead to suffering. Proclaiming the gospel will lead to suffering. But denying ourselves is not a command to intentionally suffer just for suffering's sake. To deny ourselves, it's not a command to deny our humanity, the fact that we have limits. We are physically, mentally, and emotionally limited people. Now, a popular phrase in our culture right now and a lot that is being written and put out is, 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 called, is all about self-care, okay? Self-care. And I'm actually not going to bash it as much as you might think in a sermon about Jesus saying, deny yourself, okay? Because there are a lot of good things we can take from what self-care is talking about. So people who write about self-care, they, they will say, hey, take care of yourself, get plenty of sleep, eat right, exercise, Have a heart of gratitude, like write down things you're thankful for, have times of rest, have times of silence and solitude. And so all those things, I would say yes and amen to. But again, the question has to be asked, is your self-care causing you to turn inward or outward? Because sin causes us to turn inward. The gospel frees us to turn outward. And so a true disciple of Jesus can be okay with this idea about self-care if they view it through the lens of stewardship and understanding their own humanity, okay? And so this is what I mean. As good stewards of what God has given us physically, mentally, and emotionally, we should be intentional in getting enough sleep. We should be intentional in having times of rest and in what we eat and being active. That's all a part of being a good steward of what God has given us. And we also do it with an understanding of our own humanity. And what I mean is that, right, human beings, we have limits. Listen, you are not God, you are a human being. And I probably don't say that as much as I should. I I feel like that's we should know that, but we often forget that in our life. You are not God, you are a human being. And so because we are not God, because we are human beings, we have limited abilities. But listen, those are God-ordained limits that you have. That's for all of you who get frustrated with your limits, but you want to talk about the sovereignty of God, right? These are God-ordained limits in your life. We have to rest and sleep. God doesn't. We have to. Every time you go to sleep should be a reminder that you are creation, not creator. And because you have God-ordained limits, you should have to say no to some people and to some things. Now, I know that's unheard of for some of you. We've got a lot of people that, that love to serve, that have the, the gifts of, of helping and just pouring out themselves for one another. But listen, you have to say no to things. And the ultimate reason is not that you are too busy. It's ultimately because you have limits. We as human beings, we have limits to our time and to our energy and to our mental and emotional capacity. We lack the ability to pee in two places at once, like God does. And so listen, denying yourself does not mean you must deny your humanity. We are to be good stewards of our physical, mental, and emotional health. So let's, let's recap here, and then we'll, we'll wrap up, okay? If anyone would be a true disciple of Jesus, let them deny themselves. This does not mean that we are to deny our personality. It does not mean that we are to deny our value. It does not mean that we are to deny all ambition. And it does not mean that we are to deny our humanity. But this does mean that we are to deny our old self. That we are to deny ultimate control of our lives and have a posture of surrender. And this does mean that we are to consider the needs of others, greater than ourselves. And Jesus says that true disciples deny themselves. Now, to disobey this, to reject this, to do the opposite of this is fake or false discipleship. I'm going to have you turn just to one more passage in Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to close with this. Matthew chapter 7, it's page 901. And uh, Joshua and Tim, you guys can go ahead and come on up. We're wrapping up. But Matthew chapter 7. And as you're turning there, last week in Nigeria, there was a three-story building that collapsed. The top two floors of the building housed a school. At least 10 children were killed. 37 others were pulled from the rubble. And it's a horrible, sad event to see that happen. We should be praying for those families and everyone involved and affected by that building collapse. I mean, just imagine, like imagine putting yourself in the shoes. Parents like sent their children to school that day and watched their children enter into the walls of that school fully trusting that the walls of that building would hold. By sending their kids into that school and into that building, they fully believed that the walls of that building were true and strong and they were going to stand for the entire day. Now, it's not known what led to that building collapse, but you see, building collapses are not uncommon in Nigeria because construction regulations are not properly enforced. And so where construction regulations are not enforced, you can disobey the regulations and you can take shortcuts and you can save money and you can build walls that look like they're the real deal. You can build walls that look like they are true and strong, but they are actually false, fake walls that are going to fall at some point. They look like they would truly hold up But in the end, they are fake. They're eventually going to collapse. People are going to get killed. People are going to get hurt. And church, the same is true of fake disciples. People who call themselves Christians, but who do not deny themselves, who do not take up their cross, who do not follow Jesus, They can have the appearance of being a disciple, but without obedience to Jesus, they are essentially fake and collapse is inevitable. Now look at Matthew 7, verses 24 and 27. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now that passage, if you grew up in church, that passage often gets read very lightly and flippantly because we've turned kids' songs into it, right? Don't build your house on the sandy land, right? It's like a fun, upbeat passage of Scripture. But listen, when you read it with fresh eyes, when you read it with eyes that just heard about the building collapse in Nigeria and children dying, when you read it in that regard, when a house falls, when a building collapses— People die. People get hurt. Churches get hurt. Families get hurt. Marriages get hurt. Kids get hurt. And Jesus says that if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves. They must take up their cross and follow him. And then he says in Matthew 7, he says, if anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the stand and when the storm comes, those walls are going to collapse. And so don't build your life, your family, or your church with fake walls, with fake discipleship. Ask the Lord to help you obey his words. And may his grace be upon us even now to empower us to obey his words. And I, my prayer is that even now, any fake disciples that are hearing this would be convicted this morning and start to truly turn to follow after Jesus. Listen, the one who, who emptied himself for us, he, he willingly suffered, he willingly was rejected, he willingly offered his life up for us. He poured himself out for us. Who are we not to then pour ourselves out for him? Who are we not to deny ourselves and surrender control to him? Church, that is when true life is found. When Christ is in us and we are in Christ, there is great joy and delight in being a true disciple of Jesus and following after him. So may these next few weeks, may we ask God, to help us deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Let's pray.